that means is we've made it completely through Matthew. We've made it almost all the way through the book of Mark, almost all the way through the book of Luke, and we've touched one or two in, the, um, in John's gospel. Because uh, John actually records stuff that the other gospels don't the ones that the other ones do. So, um, so we're, we're moving along pretty good. And so tonight, we're going to look at healing in Mark. There's two healings in Mark that uh, are not listed in Matthew. In fact, these two healings do not seem to be listed in any of the other Gospels. Uh, and, and both of these are, one is, one is well known, the other one is kind of not so known, not so known, not so uh, commonly known. And uh, probably because most people don't think of it as a healing, even though it is, very clearly is healing. Uh, so we're going to start right here in Mark chapter 1. Uh, we'll pick up, you know, and in Mark chapter 1, of course, it talks about uh, John the Baptist. And then it talks about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the River Jordan. And then it declares that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Uh, it's actually, in verse 13, it says, He, being Jesus, was taken into the wilderness 40 days, tempted of the devil. Tempted of the devil. So he was in the wilderness for 40 days. And so what does that mean? That means that he spent 40, Jesus spent 40 days fasting and praying and had his eyes only on uh, the Father God. And if you're going to uh, pray for people and get results with getting them healed, you're going to need to spend time alone with God, fasting, praying, meditating, getting your flesh under control so that the power of God can flow through you. I know the uh, biggest miracles that I have seen through me praying for other people for healing have been in seasons where I personally have been spending a lot of time with God, a tremendous amount of time with God. Uh, there was a season in my life where I didn't watch TV. I didn't really do other activities. If I wasn't at work or taking care of the house or things like that, cooking dinner, things like that, I was pretty much so reading and studying and praying. That's pretty much so that was my life. Um, and and uh, I was studying very heavily on healing, and it, and it was during that time that the Lord used me to go pray for several people that um, actually had, the doctors had given up on them. The doctors had sent them home to die, and um, we, uh, the Lord said, I want you to go pray for this one and go pray for that one and go pray for another one. There were three in that situation over a period. Now, this didn't happen immediately. This was over a period of a, a couple of years, because um, and then there were smaller times in between. Uh, but God said, "Go, go pray for them." And so I went, and I just was led by the Holy Ghost, and all three of them got miraculously healed. All three of them miraculously healed. Uh, but it, but it was because I was spending much time with the Father God, and I was coming to know who I was. I was coming to understand the power of God. I was uh, dealing with my flesh and putting my flesh down, not letting my flesh have its way. I'm working my way back to that place. You know, you can get busy in life and let things creep into your life that you don't realize are going to be a problem. And then they, and they creep in, and before you know it, you're rather, I mean, you're not looking. Well, that's good, Google, that you didn't understand it. <laughs> I said, I don't understand that. Uh, but you can let things creep in that consume your time, and you don't even realize it. You know, hobbies can creep in that you don't realize steal your time, just habits of your day, not, you know, poor time management, um, you know, just different things, especially with how easy technology is to access. You know, it's super easy to waste a lot of time on uh, digital media. Rather, it's, rather it's scrolling uh, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, or um, you can even, you know, read the news. You can get addicted to reading and studying and watching the news. You can get addicted to sports. So there's a lot of things that can kind of creep in 
just the day-to-day because lives get busy and busy and busy. And as, as your realm of influence and grows, then um, the demands of people can creep in and, and put hindrances on your time clock. And so here, uh, Jesus, um, you know, he was a carpenter. He had a thriving business. He's now in a full adult. He's the age of 30. You know, it's time for him to adult. How much you know? It would be real easy for him to not spend time with the father. But the father said, uh, no, you're going to go into the wilderness for 40 days. In other words, you're going to go into a place cut off from your normal day-to-day and spend time with me. And uh, during that time, uh, he was tempted of Satan. It says that he was tempted of Satan. When you sit down to spend time with the Father, you're going to be tempted by devils and demons. Now, Satan's not going to just come knock on your door in a red hat and his tail and his pitchfork and be like, Hi, I'm Satan, and I'm here to distract you. No, what he's going to do is he's going to send little imps, little demons, to, to remind you of all of the things that you have to do. You know, that cobweb that's been in the corner for six months, all of a sudden it's going to drive you crazy. You know, that refrigerator that you keep going, oh, man, I need to clean this thing out. All of a sudden it's got to be cleaned out and it's got to be cleaned out now. Uh, you know, oh, oh I got to go. I forgot I got to go do this and I got to go do that. Those are temptations to not spend time with the Father. But how much you know, Jesus mastered all of those temptations that Satan brought to him and kept putting his flesh under, kept putting his flesh under. And it says, and was with the wild beast. How much you know, um, just, the, just the environment of the world itself was a distraction. Uh, Kathy can testify, it was quite a distraction, I'm sure, the night with the jackals, <laughs> you know. And, and then you, here you are, you're trying to hear from Jesus, and the city's putting, not, sending out these bells, and everybody's bowing and praying and chanting and getting loud. And you're like, would you just be quiet? I'm trying to hear from Jesus right now, you know. <laughs> um, so, so just our environments alone can, you know, I love it. I'm like, you know, it's rare in our house that you're home by yourself. So you get all home by you. You're like, oh, yes, I'm going to be home by myself. Oh, I'm going to have some downtime just for me. And somebody will come home early or they'll not leave like they were supposed to. The dogs will bark uncontrollably. The bird will scream. The postal, the, the postal, you know, UPS or FedEx or somebody, the electric. I had one day, I was like, I was taking my shower and, and the dogs went wild. And I'm like, and I had, I, I had hit my shampoo bottle or something on the to get shampoo or something out, and, and the dogs went wild, and I was like, hello, it's me, I'm in the shower, like, hello, and they were still going wild, and I thought, what is going on, and then I heard, and I thought, are you kidding me right now, seriously, the house is empty, there's nobody here, I'm in the shower, and, and they didn't just knock and leave, because I, I thought, well, that's FedEx, they're just letting me know there's a package, no, 30 seconds later, 40 seconds later, and I'm like, seriously? So I had to get out of the shower, throw on some clothes, go to the door, and I'm like, hello? And they're like, oh, we're with the electric company. Okay. Do we not pay our bill or something? Like, why are you here? He's like, well, we just need to change out your meter, and we realized that somebody was here, because I was yelling at the dogs, and we realized that there was somebody here, so we wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to have to cut your electric off for, for just a couple of minutes, three to five minutes at most. Is that okay? Apparently. I'm out of the shower now, so apparently, apparently it's okay. And I said, yeah, go ahead and do it. I'm telling you, I think our electric flickered for about 30 seconds, and that was it. And I thought, really? Really? This is all you did? And it, how much, that's what I said. You know, just your environment can distract you. So Jesus was there. He's trying to spend time with the Father. He's got all these distractions he has to put down, but he does it. He masters them. And after he masters that, uh, it says, now after that, John was put into prison. So he gets word that John's in prison. Um, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So he spent time with God. He got filled with the Holy, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He spent time with God. He got his marching orders. 
He's going and preaching. As he's traveling and preaching, they come and tell him, John the Baptist, your cousin, has been taken to prison. Well, how much you know? That's another distraction. That's another distraction. So Jesus has to stay on target. He has to stay where he's going. He's got to stay focused. Listen, I learned this a long time ago. And I was so thankful for Brother Bill that brought me this revelation. Because we were raised and taught family is everything. When family calls, you drop and run. That's what we, that's, that was the mentality of my family. That was the mentality of the family on both sides. When something happens, family comes first, you go. And so here I am trying to serve God, and it seemed like every time I was supposed to do something for God, there was a family bomb. Family emergency. Somebody was sick. Somebody was in need. Somebody's car was broken down. Somebody's got this. Somebody's got that. Somebody needs help. And Michael and I and Miss Ann and my mom, we were running ourselves absolutely ragged. And uh, we were sitting and talking with Bill and Sandra one time at a youth camp workshop. We were just hanging out and talking. And Bill was asking, well, you know, he said, I know the Lord laid this on your heart and this on your heart. And how, how's that going? And we said, man, we've not been able to do it because we had this happen and this happen and this happen. And uh, he said, man, he said, I understand. He was very polite. He didn't call us out personally or anything. He said, I understand what that's like. He said, let me tell you something. He said, you know, I've got so many brothers and sisters because he's kind of from a bigger family. And I said, yeah. He said, but I don't know what it is. He said, if my mother needs anything, I'm the one that gets the phone call. And she calls me constantly. I can't even hardly work my job. She calls me so much. He said, she was running me ragged. He said, and finally, I told her. He said, I finally, he said, the Lord dealt with me. And the Lord said, are you going to do what I told you to do, or are you going to do what, my, what your mother tells you to do? And, uh, and, and, and when he said that, I, that kind of keyed my ears in. And, uh, and he said, well, 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 Lord, I'm supposed to honor my mom. He said, not, not before you honor me. That's what the Lord told him. And uh, so, so Bill said, I had a decision to make. He said, so I went and sat my mom down, and I said, Mama, I love you greatly, and you know I'll do anything for you. I'll be there for you. I'll do anything for you. But I'm now in a grown adult. Now, at this point, Bill's about 10 years older than us, and this is a couple years ago, so he's very grown adult. Uh, and he said, Mama, he said, I'll love you. I'll do anything for you, and I'll honor you with everything I can, but I'm now a grown adult. And uh, I love the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus has called me to do a work for him, and my Jesus has to come before you. He said, uh, and my family has to come because I, that's my responsibility, my immediate family, my wife and my children. And he said, I, and I'm a business owner, and I, that's got to come before you too as it, in, a, in some respect. He said, so here's the deal. You need me to do something, write it down, make me a list. And when I have time, when, when I, and I'll make time for you on a regular schedule, and when I come, you give me the list, and I'll get everything down on the list. He said, but, Mama, you can't control my life anymore because i got to go work for Jesus. And things in his life began to turn. He said, things began to turn around, and Mama quit having quite so much drama. And I said, I was, Michael and I went in our room, and I said, uh, I think we've got an adjustment to make. And so in that moment, we made the decision that Jesus came first that Jesus came first. And guess what? All of the sudden, the family stopped having drama. When we stopped running to rescue, they learned how to rescue themselves. When we stopped running to rescue, oh, we're talking about healing, yeah. Because do you know that, that worrying over your family can cause sickness and disease? Do you know that stressing and keeping yourself up and keeping yourself going and burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, can cause sickness and disease in your life? So you got to learn. You got to learn to put the father first, and he'll t and let him take care of them. And uh, Bill took care of his, took good care of his mama. She never went without. Or our family's oh, we've always taken care of them, uh, but we don't run immediately anymore. Something comes up. Situation comes up. You know, we, we go immediately into meditation and prayer and the Word of God, and we seek what God would have us to do. And if he would have us to go, we go. And if he says, no, they'll handle it, uh, then he, they'll handle it. We pray for them, believe God for them, 
that whatever they need gets taken care of and they get it. And guess what? That's a witness. When you can pray and believe, you know, somebody's sick, you can say, well, I'm going to pray and believe for you. Uh, and, then, and then healing comes. That's a witness. When they, you know, when they have a financial need, instead of you blowing in with your money, draining your bank account, so I'm going to pray and believe and here comes the money to them. It's a witness. So we just took on the habit of praying for them. And over time, they learned, well, if we call the family, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to pray with us or they're going to preach to us about Jesus. And some of them are actually now serving Jesus. Some of them are now serving Jesus because we quit being the Savior and let Jesus be the Savior. I know all that was in this verse. Glory to God. Uh, so, now G- so now John's in prison. Jesus is going about doing the Father's business. How much do you know in that moment Jesus could have ran home to Mary and Elizabeth? John's in prison. John's been arrested. Uh, we know what happens when you go to prison in that day. You know, you get beat, you get whipped, you get uh, beheaded, you get hung on a cross. How much you know... Uh, Jesus was tempted to run to the family. This is his cousin. They've known each other since they were in the womb. Remember, uh, Mary went and saw Elizabeth and the, and the baby leapt for joy. Yeah, they knew each other. So this was a big deal. But Jesus, instead of running to family, it says Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He continued to preach. He continued to do what God told him to do and saying The time is fulfilled that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Same exact thing that John said. Same exact thing. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe. Get in line. Same exact thing that John said. He said, now as he walked by the sea of Galilee... He saw Simon, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus came on to, uh, and Jesus said uh, unto them, Come you after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now I want you to notice that. Jesus said, um, You come after me. He left it as their choice. He did not make them. He let, uh, allowed it to be their choice. And then notice what it said. He said, I, Jesus, will make you to uh, become fishers of men. So many people try to witness of their own might and power. They try to catch, they try to catch people into Christianity under their own might, power, and ability. No, Jesus said, I'll make you the fisherman. How do you become, how does Jesus make you become the fisherman? You listen to the leading of the Holy Ghost. He knows who's ready to be witnessed to, and he knows who they will receive from. There's people that I know Jesus wants in the kingdom, but I have no unction in my spirit to witness. I could go, I could go preach Jesus to them, but that doesn't mean that they'll hear it from me. On the other hand, they might hear it from Jackie. They might hear it from Zach. They might hear it from Bridget. I'll tell you, there's things that that, uh, even other believers won't hear necessarily from you. So you don't need to tell everybody everything you know. You need to listen to the Spirit. And when the Spirit says, hey, use this bait. Brother Richard's back here. He'll tell you, you've got to have the right bait for the right season for the right kind of fish. If you don't have the right kind of bait, you're not getting the fish you're after. And apparently, I learned this from him. I I understood it because of my days working with aquariums. But when I used to fish as a kid, I didn't have any clue. I I learned this from him. Depending on what level of the water the fish is at, it depends on how much weight you got to put on your line, how much pressure you put in the line. But how much do you know? You got to be you got to you got to have some knowledge. You got to have some wisdom. You got to have some education. Well, who gives you that knowledge, that wisdom, and that education? The Holy Ghost. During prayer, I laid hands on Zach with an anointing for healing, and, then I, and, and it was followed up with some direction by the Holy Spirit. And, I, and the direction was, don't make it hard. Share, share just a tiny little bit, a word of encouragement, because Zach already does that. And then by a shake of a hand, 
In other words, you don't have to go, come here, the Lord Jesus wants me to pray for you, lift your hands to heaven and begin to thank God. Like, you don't have to have like this big, all, the Lord said, shake their hand and say, be healed in Jesus' name. That's, that's what the Lord told him to do. So that's the Lord leading him and teaching him how to be used by God. Now, Jackie could say, oh, well, that works for it. And she can receive that ability to a degree, but she can't, what she can't do is she can't just go through Walmart and go, and, excuse me, if I shake your hand, you can be healed. If I shake your hand, you can be healed. If I shake your hand, you can be healed. Because that's fruity and flaky, and that's not what God told her to do. Right, and Zach can't do it that way either. See, you've got to be led by the Spirit. And it's by Jesus teaching you. And then in verse 18, it says, And straightway they forsook, they forsook their nets and followed him. They had a choice to make. And how much you, this is their living. This is their living, and they're going, uh, Jesus, you're walking on the land by foot, and we're fishers of men, and you're walking that way away from the lake, and you want us to give up our living? Sometimes Jesus will ask you to do things that you didn't think that, would, that doesn't make sense. But they just knew. And when he had gone a little farther hence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also, also who were in a ship mending their nets. So they're all fishers too. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a ship with the hired servants and went after him. How much do you know? Uh, uh, they could have been concerned about what's the father going to do? What's Zebedee going to do? You know, Zebedee's getting up there in the age a little bit. His, uh, his hired people don't work as hard as we work. Uh, you know, sometimes we've got to put in some extra hours, and if we leave, then dad's got to pay them. Again, they had to look past family to fulfill the word of God. I thought we were talking healing. Sometimes your, what you're focused on will affect your ability to get healed, and it will also affect your ability to pray and, and have people healed as you pray effectively. Um, and then it says, and he says, so they all went with him. And it says, and they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day. So this was on Saturday. This was their holy day. Um, entered into the synagogue and taught. Now, I just, I don't know why it just prompted me. I'm, well, I know why it was the Holy Ghost. But I thought, you know, I think I need to look this word synagogue up. Because we understand that the synagogue is, the play, is basically church, modern-day church. It's a building where they – but the definition of, of synagogue is the gathering place. The gathering place. How much you know that's what the church is? The word church literally means God calls people out of their homes – into the appointed place that God has for them to gather so that they can worship together. That's what church means. So when somebody says, I am the church, uh, are you gathered? That's like saying, I am the synagogue. Now, wait a minute. No, church means the gathering of the members. So Jesus is in their church. He's in the gathering place on the Sabbath. The people that are gathered are there to be taught. And he says, uh, he was taught, and it says, and they were astonished at his doctrine. That word doctrine means teaching. The, the teaching. They, they were astonished at the way he taught. They were astonished at what he taught. They were astonished in the manner that he taught. In fact, we can find out. And it says why they were astonished. It says, for he taught them as one that had authority. He taught as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So when the scribes would get up to teach, what the scribes would do is they would basically read. They would basically read the scriptures. And then they would say, well, this is what happened. And they might give a little expert on what they thought it meant. But the scribes really didn't have an understanding. The scribes really didn't have an encounter. The scribes were really um, 
Have you ever gone and and uh, listened to a sermon and thought that was the dullest, blandest, deadest thing I have ever heard? Most of the time that occurs because the person preaching it is not real to them. It's something that they were taught in school. They don't have any actual experience. They don't have any actual understanding. They've never actually had an encounter with God. This word authority is the word exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, exousia. This is so a lot of times when you see the word authority, it's the word deutimus, that's which is mountain moving power. That's not what this one is. This word is exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, exousia, and it means to have the power of choice, liberty of doing as one pleases, or uh, it also means permission. So here Jesus is preaching with liberty, like he's got total freedom. He's not concerned with what the Jews think about him. He's not concerned with what the scribes think. He's not concerned. He's declaring things with total freedom. This word exousia also means the ability or strength which one is endued. With which one is endued. In other words, um, it's having ability or strength through an anointing. Um, uh, rather, they possess it, um, whichever. Uh, it doesn't matter if they possess if they're, if they're, um, they come by this ability uh, through possession or through exercising it, you know, um, how much do you, have you ever, have you ever paid attention to mil- to officers or military people? Have you ever been watching them? Have you ever noticed when they're in uniform, they stand a little tall and they kind of, they kind of present themselves. They've got a certain stance. They've got a certain walk. They kind of hold their head. I mean, if you had an officer that was like, you know, kind of meeky and shy, would you take them seriously? No. No, when you have officer military, they're, they're trained. You stand up tall, you roll your shoulders back, you put your head up, you look, you, you, you carry yourself with some authority. Well, that's what Jesus did. And he carried, it with a, he carried this, anoint, this authority because he knew he was endued with strength and power from on high. That's what spending that time in the wilderness will do for you, is it will endue you with power. You'll begin to understand Hey, I've got some power. Hey, I've got some authority. I've got some ability here. Another definition of this word, exousia, is the power of authority to influence and the right of privilege. You know, you get all these people out here protesting and they say, it's all right, it's all right. What they're saying is it's my legal privilege and my legal obligation. Well, Jesus was preaching with legal right, legal privilege, a legal obligation to declare the word and works of God. Um, so, so he was not meek when he was preaching. Um, I love this definition. It's the power of rule or government. The power of him whose will and commandments or commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. Let, let me read that again. This is the power of ruler government, meaning precisely the person that's wielding um, exousia, this person has power within him. He's he's carrying such power um, that that he has the ability and he um, is the power of him whose will and command must be submitted to by by others and obeyed. So when Jesus is speaking, he's saying, this is how you walk the walk. This is how you do it. He was declaring how to be a Christian. And he was doing it with such authority and power that those that were listening were compelled to follow his commandments. They were compelled. How much you know when an officer speaks to you, when somebody with authority, when mom and daddy call you uh, by first, middle, and last name, how much you know they're using their full authority and how much you know you immediately uh, succumb to their will and their command? Immediately. Well, that's how Jesus was 
That's how, and Jesus wasn't exercising his will over other people. He was just declaring the word of God with that level of, of authority. And it was compelling people. Um, you know, it's, you know, you're going to, people pay attention when somebody, me, you know, when people are very meek and very shy and very kind of, well, I think wishy-washy, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. A lot of people don't listen to them. But when you get somebody that's got some authority in their voice and some command, they, like, you know they know who they are, and you know, you know, they're presenting it, like, man, I've got this together. People pay attention. People are drawn to that. So they were, they were a little confused. They were like, uh, this guy preaches different. This guy preaches different. You know, I have, I, I've, list, I've listened to a lot of ministers, a little here and a little there. Um, and, and, I've, and, I, and I noticed something earlier this week. Because there's some, they're very good teachers, extremely good teachers, a few of them that I listen to. And I'm like, but there's something missing. Like, I was just like, Lord, there's something missing. And the Lord said to me, yeah, they don't say it with authority because they have no experience in what they're preaching. Like, they understand the principles, but they've never had to operate the principles. Therefore, it's nothing more than head knowledge. But Jesus had more than head knowledge, where the scribes had nothing but head knowledge. Okay? He says, and there was in their synagogue a man. Now, check this out. Check this out. This is where the healing comes in. He said, uh, he said, now, now, where are they at? The synagogue, the gathering place, the church. Check this out. And there was a man with an unclean spirit. There was a man in the church that had a demon living in him. A demon living in him. This word unclean uh, means uh, that this man was consumed with the things that were forbidden by the Jewish law. So this was a Jew. And he was consumed with things that were forbidden, but yet he was going to church and doing his churchly duty. He was doing what he was supposed to be. Uh, this word also indicates that this person's thought, the way they think, their thought life, and their everyday life was consumed with uncleanness, impurities, things that were with God, were, that were against God. Uh, Derek, bring up Ephesians 5, 5 for me for just a second. You guys stay right here and Mark. Just bring up Ephesians 5, 5. I want you to see this real quick. Um, this, in, in Ephesians 5, 5, here Paul says, For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, that's the same Greek word, unclean person, nor covetous man, uh, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of of Christ and of God. Same unclean. So this, un, this, this man was filled in his thought life and even in his behaviors and his actions, probably in privacy, with, with unclean behavior and unclean thinking. Uh, it's possible that this man was physically unkept, uh, but, but the indication is, is that he was doing things that broke Jewish law. And he was doing it because there was a spirit living in the inside of him causing him to do this and uh now here's a side note i've seen a lot of stuff about this lately and i'm like y'all can't you're making doctrine out of where there is no doctrine um but here it's very evident how many demons appear to be present in the situation go back to go back to mark uh verse 23 and it says there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. The indication is, is that there's one spirit, that this man has one spirit, one demon living in him. Um, but then, in the next verse, the demon speaks through the man and he says, let us alone. That us is italicized. Let us is italicized. Let's keep reading. He said, so, let, so really what the demon said is, let alone. What have we to do with thee? Now here the demon just respond, just said the word we. He said, what do we have to do with thee talking to Jesus? So the indication here is 
the, the demon could be speaking on the behalf of himself and the person whom he indwelled, or the demon could be referring to himself in the multiple. So there's been this thing going around in social media very heavily that, because, you know, we've got this issue with the pronouns. You, we've got the thing with pronouns. I don't, I'm not a she, I'm a he, or I'm a they, or I'm a we, or I'm a they. I don't want to be a he or she, so call me a they. Um, and so, so this thing that's going around on social media is that every time demons appear in the script, every time demons talk in the Bible, they always refer to themselves with the we pronouns, the we, they pronouns. And so they're saying if somebody's wanting to refer to themselves as a we, they, that that's guaranteed way to find demon. That's not true. That's not true. Because it could simply be that somebody's bought into a bunch of this propaganda and they're, and they're taking that propaganda on. Now, does that open the door to the demons? Of course it does. But that doesn't mean that there's a demon living in them simply because they go by we, they. It's just that that's what society is telling them and it's causing them to open their life up to that. Um, because in every other account where we've seen demons, there's been multiples. This is the first time that we see one demon, and he refers to himself as we. So is it possible that that's a truth in the word of God? Yes, but you don't have enough witnesses of the word on it to establish a doctrine on that. So I just needed to point that out. But he said, let alone, what have we to do with thee? Is it possible that he's talking to himself in the third person? We, of course it is. But again, this is the first time we see this. He said, Thou Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth, thou art come to destroy us again. He's talking us. And again, spirit to spirit. So is it possible that demons refer to themselves in this multi-pearl, uh, uh, you know, this we, they, us pronoun system, and that's one way to spot them? Yes, but it's not a guaranteed test. I know that, he said, I know um, thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. He's declaring this demon through this man in the middle of the church, in the middle of the church, gets up and says, um, huh, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Why are you here? Now, you need to understand uh, that the demons don't know exactly when their time is up. They, because no man, no, even Jesus doesn't know uh, exactly when he's going to call the church away. Even Jesus, the only one that knows the time clock is the Father God. But what the demons do know is they know the word. And they know according to the word, there's certain things that must happen before their time is up. And so they're watching the signs of the time as well. And they're saying, um, there's not been one that's taken the keys of the kingdom from Satan yet. There's not one that's done that yet. There, you know, uh, the, you know uh, God said that, that, uh, that Satan was going to bruise one's heel, but there was one coming that was going to crush his head. That's not happened yet. That's not happened yet. Uh, the demons know, uh, Father God, you gave man... Um, a, a full day on the earth, and that's not happened yet. Man hasn't ruled the earth for a thousand years, and uh, neither have I, type thing. There's a lease. There's a time. So what I'm saying is the demons know the signs of the times. And they're saying, uh, the lease isn't up yet. And uh, Jesus rebuked them, saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, Again, demons don't leave their homes willingly. How much do you know? If you get your house foreclosed on and you get kicked out, most of the time people destroy the home or attempt to destroy the home before they leave. Demons are, where do you think they get that behavior from? Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and when the unclean spirit tore him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Notice Jesus said, come out, and that demon came out. It was that fast. But why was, it a, why, was a, why was Jesus able to command him and the demon came out immediately? Because it wasn't that long ago that he had spent much time 
with the father overcoming Satan. And so he knew this little demon was no big deal for him. No big deal for him. And then uh, it says here, it says, and when it says, and they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves saying, what thing is this? They'd never seen a demon cast out in the synagogue. They had never seen anything like this. And uh, they, they said, well, what, what is this thing? And then look at the next thing he said. What new doctrine is this? They just saw a man take authority over a demon, and the demon came out. They just saw Jesus walking as a man cast out a demon. And they said, um, what new doctrine is this? What new teaching is this? One of the pivotal points of the New Testament is that we, the believer, has authority over devils and demons in Jesus' name. And though they didn't understand what was going on, they did understand that God was doing a new work. God was doing a new work. And uh, he said, and then, and then they responded and they said, For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey. He said, he said they did it with authority. You have to understand you have authority. You have to understand to, to pray and rebuke sickness because how much you know that unclean spirit was causing sickness in this man's body in order to, and so when that unclean spirit went out, so did the sickness. And uh, in order for that unclean spirit to come out, Jesus had to know he had authority. He had to know that he had uh, another definition that I didn't read is Jesus knew he had jurisdiction. He, he had jurisdiction to command that demon to come out and that that demon had no choice but to obey. How much you know, criminals resist arrest. Demons will resist being cast out. But you have to know that you have authority. Sickness will resist coming out, you know, um, Jackie called me one day and she was having problems with her shoulder and she said, she said, pastor, what am I doing wrong? And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I've got this pain in my shoulder and I've been rebuking it and rebuking it and rebuking it and telling it to go. And I said, well, first of all, you keep rebuking it. You tell it one time and then you have faith that it must listen. Because every time you rebuke it over and over and over and over again, it goes, aha, you don't have to listen to you. Have you ever watched a parent tell their kids 6,000 times to put the ball down? And it's not until the parent screams at the top of their lungs and then all of a sudden the kid goes, oh, they mean it. Right, and even then, like, was, was, was that the time? Like, I dropped it, now let me pick it up, and then the mom screams one more time. Or the dad. I said, don't, oh, they really meant it. Demons are the same way. If you're like, mm, demon, can you go? Sickness. Mm, sickness, I don't want you. You need to go. It will never go. Well, no, you were, you were in, this, in this situation, she was using her authority. And she said, I've rebuked it. She said, I've done this. I've done, I've, I, I've done what I know to do in the natural. I know what I've done. I've done everything I know to do in the spirit. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Why isn't this working? And I knew, how she'd been, I knew what she'd been up to. And I said, Jackie, I said, um, just out of curiosity, I said, weren't you told by God that you needed to rest your body? And she said, yes. And I said, did you rest like the Lord told you to do? No. I said, no, you didn't rest. In fact, you went and cleaned somebody's house for an entire day. Oh, pastor. I said, repent, then command. And so she repented, and then she commanded, and it worked. And it worked. So, so uh, when you, you've got to understand your authority, but you also have to be in line with the rest of the word. How much do you know? If Jesus had gone to, if Jesus had gone to Elizabeth and Mary when John, got, uh, when John got arrested, and there was somebody there that needed healing, the healing power wouldn't have worked because Jesus would have not been doing what the Father told him to do. You know, so authority takes you so far, but uh, you've got to be in the right jurisdiction. 
Thank you, Holy Ghost. How much do you know? You can't. Our sheriff, our sheriff over here can't go to the go to the casino and just start enforcing the law because the casino is not their jurisdiction. Now, if the tribal police call the sheriffs in and say, "Hey, uh, we need some assist up here," then they can go in. But if that's not their jurisdiction, the criminals don't have to listen to them. Demons work the same way. Sickness works the same way. If you can command sickness to go from your body all day long, but if you're doing something to cause the sickness, it's not going to listen to the command. Listen, Jesus has healed me, but I have to maintain my healing. If I run my body ragged and I don't take the necessary breaks that my body requires, then I will hit the wall and I will be down for two weeks. So I have to, I can't just go, bless God, uh, 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 fatigue, go and, and walk. Well, guess what? We, we, I preached this morning. We went to lunch. I studied this afternoon. And my body said, you better take a break or you're going to hit the wall. And I said, Lord Jesus, I got nine minutes. And I laid back and I closed my eyes and it was the sweetest nine minutes. Derek came in and said, I told him I had got a nine minute nap. And he said, what nine, what's nine minutes going to do for you? I said, man, when you do nine minutes with Jesus, it makes all the difference in the world. Jesus, Jesus didn't tell me to command the fatigue to go. Jesus told me, rest. I said, Lord, I got nine minutes. He said, I'll make it work. And he did. And he did. One more quick one. We know this one. One more quick one. We got time. Go to uh, Mark chapter 8. We'll hit these two. And then I believe we'll be done with Mark. And then next week we'll look at uh, Luke. Uh, Mark chapter 8. This is just three short verses. But there's a lot in here. And uh, here uh, Jesus had just fed the many, and they acted, and they left the bread and the extra fish behind, and he rebukes his disciples, um, and they think it's over the bread, but actually what he's rebuking, for, rebuking them for is listening to the heresy of the uh, Pharisees and, uh, and, and Herod. They were listening to the government instead of listening to the Father God. And uh, so Jesus kind of rebukes them and gets on them and straightens them out a little bit. And in verse 22, it says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. Now, I, I, I said, uh, they sought him to touch him. And uh, let's, let's finish reading it, and we'll go on from there. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had, when he had spat on his eyes, and put his hands upon them, he asked him if he, had, if he, saw, um, if he saw aught. Like, do you see anything? And, uh, and it says, And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw Every man clearly. Now, this seems pretty straightforward, but there's a couple things I want to point out to you. It says that Jesus came into Bethsaida, and I said, well, there, and, but then it says that he led them, that they led, while he was in the town, there were some people that brought this blind man. So this man was either not, either he had become blind and had not been, got, and he wasn't good at getting around on his own blind, or maybe this man uh, hadn't really built his faith up in Jesus yet, and his friends had faith. Uh, so it doesn't really tell us, but he's got people with him that are leading him, and they bring him on to Jesus, and they were the ones that were uh, beseeching Jesus to heal him. So it was the friends that brought him. And then it says, and, and that Jesus, it says that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And I thought, well, Lord, that's weird. Why would you lead him out of the town? And uh, so I went and I looked up this town of Bethsaida. And there's two, I, I figured out there were two Bethsaidas. And then I figured out that there's actually a third one. 
Interesting. And all of these little, these are little villages uh, that are around the Sea of Galilee. So there's a Bethsaida on the east bank. There's one on the west bank, and there's actually even one on the north bank of the Sea of Galilee. But these were all tiny little fishing towns. And um, this particular Bethsaida, they believe, was the one that was on the um, north bank. Some believe it was the north bank. Some believe it was on the east bank. Um, I, I'm sorry, I don't recall, but they, the archaeologists have found um, an archaeological site where this Bethsaida was, and I think it was the one on the east bank uh, that, that, that points to this. Yes, it was the one on the east bank of Galilee. Now, here's the other thing that you need to know. This will help you in your notes. This will help you so much because it always gets me confused. The Sea of Galilee in the Bible is also referred to as Lake Genesaret. Not only is the Sea of Galilee and the Lake of Genesaret the same body of water, but this body of water also is called Lake Tiberias. Not only is it called Lake Tiberias, it's also called the Sea of Tiberias. And just for giggles, it's also called the Lake of Kinneret. <laughs> so this same body of water has uh, one, two, three, four, five names. It's all the same water. It's uh, apparently from the farthest northern point to the farthest southern point is 13 miles long. But it's quite a bit wider around. Uh, as Brother Randy says, it they lied to us. It's not a sea; it's a lake. It's a, yeah. It's the biggest. It's the biggest fresh body, uh, fresh. It's the biggest body of fresh water in Israel. It's 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 a very big lake. I think it's 114 or 144 feet deep. So it's it's fairly deep. Uh, and then um, but it goes by all these different names. So here's this little bitty town of Bethsaida. And he wants to, uh, and he's taking this man out of town. And I, and I said, well, Lord, here's something that we know from your word. Many times uh, you take, you like when you raised uh, Jairus' daughter, you kicked out all the unbelievers. We know that when you went into your own hometown, you couldn't do any mighty works because of the amount of unbelief within your hometown. So I went looking at this. I went looking for this city for some information on the city to find out: is this a town that's got a lot of sickness in it? Is this a town that's got a lot of you know pagan stuff, a lot of disbelief? Like what? It, why would he feel the need to pull this man out of this town? And we don't know exactly why, but we know that Jesus pulled him away from there, what escorted him away from there. Some people believe that Jesus wanted to, get, um, wanted to get this man off completely by himself. But that doesn't make any sense because when Jesus healed his eyes, he said, I see men walking as trees. So there's people nearby. So it wasn't about getting him completely alone. That wasn't the case. I have a, I, knowing how Jesus worked through other healings, I would say it had more to do with getting him out of a place that caused him unbelief. And if you think about it, um, somebody that is blind, they're going to rely very heavily on their ears. They're going to rely very heavily on his ears. And so Jesus probably pulled him out of the city to get him away from the naysayers, to, to get him away from the people that were going to build unbelief in him. He had to get him in an environment where it was easier for him to receive, easier for him to receive. So he pulls him out of this town, getting him in an environment where it's easier for him to receive. I can tell you what, it's easier for me to get my dad to receive healing when he's in the hospital than it is for me to get my dad to receive healing when he's at home. When he's in the hospital, when he's in a desperate situation, he'll, he'll be quiet long enough to hear me talk to him and encourage him and preach the word to him. He's held captive in a bed. He can't get away from me. And I can get him healed in the hospital bed. But it's very hard for me to get him healed when he's in his house and he can do his own thing. How much do you know? I tell you guys all the time, I like to get people trapped in the car. They can't get away. 
And I've had the greatest miracles with revelations and understandings while talking with people when they're trapped in the car, when they can't get away, when they're not distracted, when they're not distracted. So I believe that Jesus took him out of this town um, to get him away, for, to get him in an environment where he, this man, could receive. And I believe not only did he need this man where he could receive, but I also believe he needed his friends that were believing for faith to not be distracted. I, there's a good chance his friends were going, hey, Jesus is going to do a miracle. And he's like, I don't need all this. Friends, come on. You know, sometimes you got to get them away. you got to get them in an environment where he can heal it and hear it and receive it. He said he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And then he tells us what he did next. He said, and when he had spit on his eyes. Listen, this does not mean that he spit in his hand and then let it. No, it said he spit in his eyes. Now, this man's got really good hearing. He probably heard the spit coming. He probably thought, what is about to happen right now? And when that spit hit him in the face, he probably thought, was that what I think that was? Spit on his eyes. Listen, Jesus will have, sometimes Jesus will, the Father God will have you do crazy things. Crazy things. He spit on his eyes, and then he put his hands on pawning. Jesus went, and then he laid his hands on him. It doesn't say he laid his hands on his eyes. It just says he touched him. So first he spit on him, one of those crazy lizards. Not really. But then he laid his hands on him. And he, he, <laughs> he put his hands on him. And, uh, and then he asked the man, what do you see? And the man looked up, and he said, I see men as trees walking around. Obviously, this man had had his sight before because he knew what trees looked like. So this was a man that had progressively lost his sight. Because he said, I see men as trees. In other words, he could see the men, but they were disshaped and tall and didn't look right, kind of fuzzy. And then it says, and after he put his hands again, now here he says, and after he put his hands again upon his eyes. So now we know that, that not only did Jesus spit in his face, but then Jesus stuck his hands in his own spit and touched his eyes. And he said, okay, now open your eyes and tell me what you see. How much, you know, if somebody spits in your face, your hands are going to go up there. And if they, if they spit in your face and your eye, you're going to wipe your eyes before you open them. But that, Jesus said, uh, I'm going to spit in your face. I, 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 here, Jesus spits in his face, puts his, like, pushes that spit into his eyes. And then he says, okay, open your eyes. Uh, how much you know? That took some faith. Like if I get this spit like actually physically in my eye, I'm not going to be okay with this. Like this is not okay. <laughs> you know, and, but, he, but he laid his hands upon him again. And then he, and he told the man... He said, and made him look up. Notice it said, and made him look up. So more than likely, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes and pushed his head back. I mean, you know, you've got to be led by God. You'll be led by God. He pushed his head back, more than likely. And then said, look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. So he said, so here, Jesus. Spits on his face, spits, in his, spits on his eyes, then puts his hands on him and says, okay, tell me what you see. The man's like, I see men walking around like trees. Jesus says, okay, puts his hands on him, pushes his head back, and he says, okay, now what do you see? How much you know what he had the man doing was looking at the Father God first? He had him looking at the Father God first. He was Because the first time he opened his eyes, he was looking to man. This time when he opened his eyes, he was looking to the Father. And then he said, now tell me what you see. See, when he looked up, he saw the clouds clearly. He saw, it said he saw clearly. He said he saw, he saw, he said he saw every man clearly. He looked up to the Father, gave Father honor first, and then he looked and he said, wow, everybody's nice and clear now. Everybody's good and clear. Glory to God. And then it says, and he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town 
nor tell any man in town. He said, don't tell him. He said, first thing you need to do is go home and tell your family. He said, first thing you need to do is go in. And we know from our other readings that there was a period of time that Jesus did great healings, but he told people not to tell because he was trying to keep his popularity down until he could make his rounds and let everybody know. Uh, because once Jesus became well-known, he couldn't hardly go anywhere. So we know that that's why he said, don't go tell anybody. So with these two accounts, uh, we're basically done with Matthew and Mark. Matthew and Mark. Because all of the other accounts in, Ma in Mark um, have been dealt with in Matthew. So, uh, so now we're going to start making some progress. We'll start speeding through these a little bit faster. So next week we'll look, um, unless the Lord shows me I missed one, uh, we'll, go back, we'll go next week and look at Luke. Because there's a couple in Luke. Uh, that is only recorded in the book of Luke. I think there's one that's in Luke and John, I think. But we'll find out when we get there. Um, so, and again, you go, if you, you need healing, just begin, continue. Continue to build your faith on healing. Continue to study on healing. Continue to build your faith. And you don't have to wait for us to have an altar call for healing. We'll have it when the Lord tells us to. But anytime you're ready, you can say, Father, I received my healing. But make sure you're ready. Most of the time what bankrupts people in receiving healing is they, is they say or they claim or they try to receive it before they're really ready. And that's why the Lord said to take our time. I know Jackie the other day, we were spending a little time with her, and she said, you know, when she said, when she said and we've, done, we've been doing healing since November last year, uh, healing school, and, and she's always here. And uh, she said, you know, We've been doing what? Healing in the Gospels for what? Four or five weeks now? And I said, Jackie, we just did our 10th week. And she said, oh. She said, okay, well, in that case, it's only been in the last four weeks or so that uh, I've really started to begin to understand that God does want us healed. Like, it's, really, it's, it's only really began to kind of sink in in the last four to five weeks. And this is why we take so much time with this. Well, praise God. If you've got a tithe and an offering, Zach will come. Um, Zach, if you'll hand me an envelope, I'll do mine that way. Thank you, sir. If you, if you have a tithe or an offering that you'd like to sow, uh, we'll do that. And uh, thank you, Father. And I'll do my check. Thank you, Father. If you want to give in-house, you can give cash or check. If you want to give online, you can go to discipleshouse.faith, click on the Give link, and it will walk you through it. Or you can text the number on the screen, and it will walk you right through it. Just text the word Give, and it will walk you through it. If you already have it set up, you just type in the amount, and poof, it goes. But uh, we'll pray. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Father, we thank you that you're bringing a revelation of health and healing to all people in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm just listening to the Holy Ghost. I'm perceiving the Lord wants to say or do something. Hold on. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. If you hear this message online, this is what I, I, if you hear this message online and you say, Father, I see and perceive that you want me healed and I desire to receive my healing, then, then just pray this. Say, Father, I see that my healing and Naban, my sickness, whatever it is, is under the, it, that it's your will to heal me of it. And so, Father, I receive that healing right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, specifically, I really believe that this is for somebody that has an issue in their legs. If you have an issue in your legs and you hear this message, then reach out and receive the Lord. There's no distance in the spirit. There's no distance in the spirit. So, you know, if you say, oh, that's me. I've got an issue in my legs. Then just say, Father, I receive healing for my legs right now in Jesus' name. There's an anointing for that. 
And I heard the Lord say, it's through the online. It's through the online. So it doesn't matter if you're listening right now or you listen later, that anointing is there and that anointing is available. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that you're healing those leg ailments, whatever they are, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Father, I receive it. Thank you, Lord. And, Father, we give you all the glory and the honor. Father, we thank you that you bless the people, bring increase into their lives. He, oh, Father, oh, blessings of heaven, blessings of heaven. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you that the word is true and the word is working. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father God. Blessed, blessed, blessed in Jesus' mighty name. Glory to God. Well, I think it's a kind of, hopefully, a little bit of a quieter.